today, we're really going to be uh, highlighting our personal relationships, our, our marriage relationships, and I know that all of us in here probably find ourselves in different places, um, you know, in different seasons of our relationships. There may be even some of us in here that find ourselves really not really in a relationship right now. But I think that as, as we kind of talk about some of these things, not only these things can be, you know, practical for all of us at some point in our life, it is also important that we, um, you know, th- there are, there are going to be principles that we're going to be able to apply to everything that we do. And so we're going to be talking about these, um, you know, or the, this idea and some principles and some concepts about our relationships with one another. And I think one of the things that happens sometimes when we kind of come find ourselves in a place like this, um, and we're talking about this, I think sometimes we can get to the place where we listen for other people, right? So we're like listening to the message and what God is having to say, and we're thinking, man, if so-and-so could be here to hear this, that would be really good for them, right? Or if, uh, you know, man, I hope my wife or my husband into this this morning, because, and, and so one of the things that I would challenge you to do, anytime we're having moments like this and, and times like this that that really kind of listen for yourself, right? So, yeah, and it is true that probably other people would benefit from, from hearing some of these things, but, um, you know, we become the greatest benefactor when we listen for ourselves and we try to apply it to ourselves and, and, and bring change to ourselves, all right? So, um, you, you, can't, you don't have the power to change other people. You only have the power to change yourself, all right? And so, um, anyways expectations, right? Expectations. Um, We all have expectations. Every single one of us, at some point in our lives, at some point in our journey, uh, you know, we all carry expectations with us everywhere um, we go. And one of the things that we're going to talk about, especially early in this particular thing, is the idea of unmet expectations. Things didn't go the way that I thought that they would go. So, even inside of a relationship, we come inside of a, into a relationship and we think, I thought he would change, or I thought she would change, or I thought he would grow up, or I thought she would accept me for who I am, or I thought it would be different than the way it is right now. There's all kinds of expectations that we create, or that we have. And most of the time, the expectations that we have in our mind are really kind of uncommunicated expectations. You know, a lot of times we don't really talk about the things that we expect from our, our other people in a, that we are in a relationship with. We just kind of think that maybe it's, it's something that everybody should understand. That we all should understand that this is a normal part of every relationship. And, and I think, you know, there were several months ago, I even probably had a message on this. It's called, it's one of these things that's called the curse of knowledge. Anytime you know something in your mind, you automatically expect other people to know it too, right? So like the mechanic gets really mad at people who don't understand how or what to change the oil or when to change the oil in a car because they're thinking like everybody should know this, right? We get super upset at people because people don't know the things that we know because we think that everybody should know this. And um, that's called the curse of knowledge and it can create kind of an impatience inside of us, um, you know, to, to a degree. But every single one of us carry expectations with us everywhere we go. In, inside of a relationship, we come into a relationship with expectations. We go into jobs with expectations. We, we, we become part of a church with expectations. 
There are expectations. We, every person has expectations in everything that they do. And so what I did this morning is, is just because, you know, relationships in general, um, you know, um, you know, they, they kind of have those, we kind of have those things, those, those, those relationships. And some of those things are like when, when you look back on the human nature and, and who we are as people, we can kind of laugh at ourselves sometimes, right? You know, not take ourselves too seriously and, and laugh at ourselves. So what I did is I put together a series of relationship memes, all right? Marriage memes. And, and so we're going to kind of move through some of those real quick. Let's go ahead back there in the back. There you go. Um, so I don't know if you, all right, she's doing all the driving. I'm just the one behind the wheel, right? Can you, re- don't raise your hand, guys, but you know what I'm talking about, all right? So you know it, all right? Let's go ahead. Next, uh, being married is like having a best friend who doesn't remember anything you say. <laughs> uh, my wife would raise her hand to that. She would, she would feel the glory. The, the presence of the Lord would fill this place. When you try to hug her, but she's still mad at you. <clears throat> Right? <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So uh, a husband is someone who, after taking the trash out, gives the impression he just cleaned the whole house. Right? <laughs> you know? <clears throat> just did it. All right? And when I told her, woman, I am the man of this house, and what I say goes, which pretty much sums up how I ended up out here talking with you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, anyways, all right, <clears throat> marriage is a fairy, fairy tale just in reverse, you start out at a ball in a beautiful gown and end up spending all day cleaning up after little people, Whew, that's, a, that's like a family meme right there, right, I mean, it's just like, it's just the way it goes, right, <clears throat> so, and, uh, wait, so, and what else did you fix today, I, look, I, look, I'm going to tell you something, this past week I was having a conversation we have a, a situation going on at our house with um, some home improvement stuff that we're trying to do. And I was just kind of making the remark, you know, like, hey, well, you know what? We, we got these walls that, that we need to hang some drywall and put some drywall up. And, so we, and I just said, you know what, guys? Hey, I'll hang the drywall. I'll put it all up. I'll get it up. And every single one of the people in my house looked at me and started laughing. And this meme reminded me of that, right? You know, you say you're going to fix the fan, and then it falls. You're like, okay, what else did you fix in the house today? All right. <clears throat> Women be like, nope, I ain't mad. <clears throat> Blowing up the car. <laughs> Are you mad? No. <clears throat> I admit I didn't handle that well, but I don't want this to discourage you from being honest with me in the future. <laughs> so true. Is that it? Is that we got one more? That's it? That's it. All right. There are a lot of things that, that, you know, that we can, you know, there were, as I was kind of going through, there was a bunch of different stuff that we could kind of pull through and, and, you know, things that we can kind of laugh at ourselves a little bit. Um, But what happens is, is when, when expectations go unmet, it creates friction and pain in a relationship. When, uh, and when expectations go unmet, it can create friction and pain inside a relationship. And not only are there personal expectations that we have inside of every relationship, there are cultural expectations. And, and most of the time, we don't even know that we have these expectations upon the other person. Um, you know, it's just a part of our culture. It's just maybe a part of our subconscious, this, this idea, which, 
most of the time is the reason why we don't ever communicate them because it's a part of our subconscious and it's a part of our culture, so we kind of feel like that everybody should kind of know these expectations exist. But I like to use this analogy. It's like, kind of like a fish that's in the ocean, all right? Does the fish living in the ocean know it's living in water or is the water all it's ever known, all right? And it's kind of like that as it relates to the expectations that we have upon the people that we find ourselves in relationship with. Um, Most of the time, we don't really stop to think about the cultural expectations that exist inside of our mind as it relates to the relationships that we have. And our culture, for the most part, has a, a significant amount of cynicism when it comes to marriage and relationships. Have you ever noticed the, the, the amount of significance, I mean, right, it's, uh, the, the amount of cynicism that's there. Well, it's just a piece of paper. What does it really matter? You know, most people get divorced anyways. And so we got this, this, this the, uh, movement in our culture now where it's kind of like, we don't really need to get married. It's really not that important. It's really not that significant. And especially if you're not kind of like a church-going God person, What does it really matter if we have a ceremony? What does it really matter if there's a pastor or a priest doing it? You know, none of this kind of, all of this kind of stuff doesn't really matter. So there's a certain amount of cynicism that exists in our culture today, even as it relates to marriage. And at the same time, inside of our culture, there is a lot of idealistic beliefs about marriage as well. The, the hopeless romantic movies and comedies and, and TV shows, uh, the wedding parties and the showers and the productions and the celebrations and all of these things that exist inside of our culture, you know, we see on one end a tremendous amount of cynicism and on the other end a tremendous amount of um, anticipation and excitement um, and, 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 and idealistic beliefs about marriage. There's a... <clears throat> There's a, there's a kind of a comedy artist singer named Bo Burnham. Anybody ever heard of him? Bo, Bo Burnham. I just this week kind of um, was doing some research and ran into him. And he wrote a song called Lower Your Expectations. Now, I will say this. This is not, a, um, this is not me promoting this song like we all need to go sing, hear it. Because I will say that there are a couple of things in the song that it would be inappropriate, which is the reason why we're not going to listen to the song, all right? But um, I am going to quote you some of the lyrics to this guy's song, all right? Because I think it really highlights this contrast between cynicism and idealism that lives inside of our culture, all right? So listen to um, this song. It says, you want a guy, that is, he's singing to the girls, You want a guy that's sweet, a guy that's tough, a feminist who likes to pay for stuff. The kind of guy that gets along with your friends without being attracted to any of them. A good boy, a bad boy, a good bad boy, a half good, a half bad, half boy. Loves your brother, sensitive but not weak, and is a great lover, calls your mother on the weekend. Now you might think that this guy only exists in your mind. Guess what? You're right. And then he's singing to the guys. You want a girl that's nice, a girl that's not obsessed with her looks, but is insanely hot. A kind of girl that you can show to your folks, loves the movies that you like, and always laughs at your jokes. A real girl, a real girl, a hot girl, a really hot girl, a brand new, really hot, real doll, wants to impress you and doesn't care if you noticed. Now you might think that this girl only exists in your mind, but she's real. But she 
died last week. <clears throat> so um, there's this, uh, this idea that, you know, this, um, this incredible, hopeless, you know, this romantic thing that this, you know, Prince Charming exists out there or this, you know, incredible Cinderella story exists out there and that, that, you know, this idea that we all have about this person that we're supposed to meet to come sweep us off of our feet and, and then this incredible cynicism like, well, you might think that this person exists, but guess what? They don't. So, you know, let all your dreams die. And this is kind of the humor behind this particular song that he sings. And the reason why it's kind of a comedy of sorts is he really addresses the, um, you know, the idealistic beliefs that we have about relationships and then the cynicism that exists on the other end as well. You know, the number one reason why marriage is split up today, the number one reason why marriage is split up today is for compatibility issues. Compatibility issues. So there used to be, you know, other reasons. That, you know, that, that number one on the list used to be other things. And lately now, the number one reason why marriage is split up today is for compatibility issues. And so, and, and one of the reasons why we have compatibility issues is because we have expectations. Or we have what we call as qualifications or a list of qualifications that we're looking for in another person. So we, we look for someone who doesn't need to change. Right? And then we want someone who doesn't want to change us. So I want to find somebody who doesn't need to change. And then I also want to find somebody who doesn't want to feel the need to change us. Or change me. <clears throat> and and an, another thing, another qualification is that they need to have at least one of these two things. They need to either have looks or they need to have money. They need to have at least one. All right? Looks or money. All right? Plus, as a Christian, as a God-fearing person, they, gotta, they, they need to love Jesus. All right? So they need to not need to change and not want to change you, they need to be good-looking or have money, and they need to love Jesus. Let me just tell you something. This is a, this is a unicorn. We're looking for Bigfoot right now. Okay, We're looking for the Loch Ness Monster, which I actually think the Loch Ness Monster exists, but I don't believe in Bigfoot, and I don't believe in a unicorn. All right, <clears throat> But they're kind of in the same genre there. You have to talk to me later about the Loch Ness Monster. Right? What drives all of these qualifications that we have inside a relationship? And what drives all of these qualifications is the idea, listen, that my relationship, and we've all bought into this assumption. We've all bought into this assumption as Americans. We've all bought into this idea that my relationship should make me happy. My relationship should make me happy. Someone who I get along with, who doesn't want to change me, and so on and so on. And the reason why I got into the relationship, because in the beginning I was happier when I was with them than when I was without them. And we learned this at a young age. At a very young age, Disney has been a great model for us at a young age to learn that my relationship should make me happy. Because you have Prince Charming, and you have Rapunzel, and they meet each other, all right, and 
through a series of conflict, they join together, and then they live happily ever after. Okay? Happily, <laughs> happily ever after. All right? So we say, what's the point if not for happiness? All right? <clears throat> but I will tell you this, all right? If you're looking for happiness, do not get married. <clears throat> I know that you think, gosh, man, you're so, you're such a downer. Alright, you see, y'all, y'all came this morning and you're getting the good stuff, alright? I'm just saying, everybody else that decided they didn't want to show up today, they're missing out, alright? If you're looking for happiness, do not, do not get married. And I'm not saying that you can't find happiness in married, marriage at some level, alright? But if you're looking for, listen, looking for happy, looking, uh, getting married to, to make you happy would be like this. It would be like, um, it would be like getting on an airplane to eat peanuts. You know what? I want some peanuts. Let's take a flight. <clears throat> I mean, right? I mean, like, you can find peanuts there. All right? M- most of the time now it's pretzels or something. I don't, sometimes you don't even know what you're going to get. Like, what is this? All right? Um, you can find it there, but there are other ways to find it better than that, right? Okay? Getting married for happiness is like getting on an airplane to eat peanuts. All right? So happiness can happen in a marriage, but it is not the point. All right? It is not the point. And, and so we have to understand that. That expectations that you put on a relationship, when we come into a relationship with uncommunicated expectations, especially the expectation that this person, this one person, this one imperfect person is going to make me happy in my life, you are putting pressure on a relationship that cannot handle that kind of pressure. Right? One person cannot make you happy. One person cannot make you happy. And it's no wonder we are becoming less and less committed to our relationships in our society, all right? Now, there are a lot of different reasons why, you know, relationships break up. It's not just because of compatibility issues, even though that's the number one reason. But we have to understand that every person uh, that we find in our life, uh, every person that we're in relationship with, they're not supposed to be the ones to make us happy. And for the most part, they're not ever going to make you happy in the long run. All right? Uh, there may be moments of happiness. I certainly, we can look back on our relationship and my wife and I's relationship. There are, have been great moments of happiness. And there's been great moments of, you know, like the mad dog trying to hug the, you know, whatever. You know, there's been other moments, too, where it hasn't been so happy and in those moments, you begin to kind of question, like, what are, what are we doing? Is this even right? Did I make the right decision? Why am I not happy in this relationship? All of these kinds of things can come up, and you start questioning things that really weren't supposed to be questioned. All right. So the Bible lays out us a great idea, concept of what it means, a great plan for love. All right. And so if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you have an obligation to do what God tells you to do. In our relationships... 
we have an obligation to do what God tells us to do as it relates to the relationships that we have with one another. So in Ephesians chapter 5, and Ephesians chapter 5 is a great book that actually talks about, um, you know, uh, the, the, the relationships inside of a family, the husband and the wife, and, the, um, it, you know, even the children, and, and how we should, you know, respect and love one another. We're not really going to get into that perspective or that idea of what's going on there. We're going to look in the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 5. And it says right here, It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All right. So therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. So this passage right here tells us that we are to be imitators of God. Imitators of God and his love for us. So God's love for us is how we're supposed to imitate love for one another. All right. Did you notice here when the Bible says his love for us, that it it included three things that he did. He gave, there was an offering, and there was a sacrifice, right? He gave, there was an offering, and there was sacrifice. If you actually look at the, if you, in, in the Hebrew language, there's a word that is used often to describe God's love. It's the Hebrew word hesed. And it, it describes God's love for his people. And if you look at it, it actually is translated mercy, love, Kindness, steadfast love, loyalty, and devotion. Okay? Mercy, love, kindness, steadfast love, loyalty, and devotion. Now, if you take all of those qualities and you put those together, say, how many of you in here would love to be in a relationship with someone who extended those qualities? Well, we all would. I want somebody to be kind. Somebody to be steadfast and loyal and devoted and have mercy. All of those things are things that are a part of God's love for his people. That he extends all of those to us. And then in scripture we find here in Ephesians, the Bible says that we are to be imitators of God. Imitators. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Walk in love the same way that God has loved us. That hesed love, that mercy, kindness, steadfast love, loyalty, and devotion. In Exodus chapter 3, we actually see the word used. I'm going to turn there real quick. I'll tell you what, I didn't know any better. Every time I say a good word, I hear people cheer. I'm thinking, they're talking to me today. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 5, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, shoot, Exodus chapter 34, I'm a little ways off, Exodus 34, 6 through 7, it says this, it says, um, the Lord passed 
before him and proclaim, The Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers. All right, so listen, right here in this passage, it's talking about the Hesed love of God. All right. So if you were to take this right here, all right, and you were to say, uh, <clears throat> say the Lord passed by. It says the Lord, a God of merciful and gracious, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and the transgression and sin. If you were to take that, for example, because you remember in Ephesians it says that we're supposed to be imitators of God. Let's just say that we take that passage right there and we replace husband or wife with Lord. All right. And so it says the husband, a man of mercy, a man merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions of sin. Or the wife, a, a woman, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions of sins. All right? We see right here an idea of what it means to be an imitator of God. So if we want to understand how to love one another better in relationships, then the only way that we can understand that is by understanding God's love for us and that we are supposed to be imitators of God's love. And then we can replace our name for the Lord and say this is the way that we're supposed to live. You see, this word hesed also means... Covenant love. Covenant love. And I want to talk just briefly this morning about the difference between covenant love and cultural love. All right? Covenant love, because the word hesed actually means covenant love. You see, here's the deal. In a covenant relationship, in a biblical covenant relationship, okay, your personal needs and happiness go before, uh, uh, are, are, okay, the relationship goes before, okay, the relate, sorry, you just don't know, I had it written down wrong in my, in my notes, I don't know how I did that, all right, I was like, that ain't right, right, the relationship is more important than personal needs and happiness, in a covenant relationship, when you are in a covenant relationship, it is about uh, the relationship is more important than your personal needs or your happiness. That's what a covenant relationship was all about. And so in the Bible, we see covenant relationships happening between people. Like you would have clans or groups of people that would make covenant with one another to, to, to help defend and to protect each other. And so the covenant relationship wasn't about what that person can do to serve me. It was about what I could do to serve them. That's what a covenant relationship was about. So anytime that person had a need, I made sure I put myself on the scene. And it was my responsibility to 
see that and understand that I have a responsibility and it doesn't matter how I feel in the moment about it, I'm going to go do it. So like, for example, in Old Testament Scripture, when one clan would have a covenant relationship with the other, if these guys over here made war with them, then these guys over here would come and fight with them to protect them. And it didn't matter how they felt. Like, well, I don't really want to send my men over there to fight for them. I want to protect my people. I don't really feel like putting my life on the line for them. No, you're in a covenant relationship. doesn't matter how you feel. doesn't matter about your personal needs or desires or any of those things. You do what you're supposed to do because the relationship is more important okay, than your personal happiness or needs. All right? So Paul says in Ephesians, we're supposed to be imitators of God, and we're supposed to be imitators of God in the way that God loves. A covenant relationship, okay, with him. Now, you think about the way that God loves you. Has God ever stopped loving you? Does he ever stop being good to you? If you were to raise your fist and just curse God in the face, would he stop loving you? Would he stop being good to you? No, he wouldn't. Why? Because his love is a covenant love. He made a covenant relationship with you, covenant relationship with you through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Right? And this is the way that he loves us. All right? So, God's love is a covenant love. There's actually a story. Um, I think it's, it's not really a story. It's actually a book of the Bible. <laughs> um, the prophet Hosea, I believe it is. <clears throat> um, God wanted man to learn what it was like to be God. In the sense to feel what God feels in his covenant relationship with mankind, right? Or his covenant relationship with Israel. Because what would Israel do? Israel would, like, serve God and then reject him. And then something bad would happen. They would go back to serve him. And then they would reject him. And they would serve him, reject him. So what, what, God, told, what God asked Hosea to do, he said, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And I want you to love this prostitute. And she's going to be your wife. All right? And so Hosea got to learn as he was faithful to her and she was not faithful to him, he got to learn what it was like to be God, that he remained steadfast and faithful to this woman, even though this woman wasn't being faithful to him. And this is the, kind of, this is the covenant relationship that we have with God. God recognizes the fact that there are seasons and moments in our lives where we're not as faithful as we should be. We're not as good as we should be. We're not walking the way that we should be. But guess what? God hasn't changed. His faithfulness doesn't wane just because your faithfulness does. His love for you doesn't wane just because your love for him doesn't wane. None of those things happen. God remains steadfast. He remains faithful because he's in a covenant relationship with you. So when we read in Ephesians, the Bible says that we are supposed to be imitators of God in that covenant love. All right? So you have covenant love, and then you've got consumer love. And in consumer love, my personal needs and happiness are more important than the relationship. And this is what we have in our culture today. We have consumer love, where my personal needs, all right, 
and my personal happiness become more important than my relationship with my spouse. I would even say that we have this, this is, look, we, there is so much consumerism, okay, in our culture today that we treat almost everything that we deal with in a consumer way, in a consumer fashion. We, we treat our relationships with people in a consumer, fa- consumer fashion. We treat our relationship with the church in a consumer fashion. Okay? We treat our relationship with God in a consumer fashion. All right? and everything. Now look, being a consum- there's nothing wrong with being a consumer as long as you know, it's in the right particular area. So your, your, your relationship with Walmart can work like that. All right? You know, so if Walmart doesn't give you what you want at the price that you want, you, you can go somewhere else and get it somewhere else. That's, you know, that's trade and barter. That's, that's the way we work in a consumer world. But when you put those attributes inside of your life and the way that you interact with people that you're supposed to love and be in a covenant relationship with, all of a sudden you start doing things that you shouldn't be doing. So when we're in a relationship with one another and we say, well, you're not doing what I think you should do and you're not meeting my expectations and you're not living the way that I think that you should live and meeting my happiness and meeting my needs, you know, I'm just going to feel like I'm going to go somewhere else and do something else, okay? We are approaching a covenant relationship with consumer love. When we approach church in the kingdom of God in a way like, well, this church ain't making me happy, and they're not shaking my hand, and they're not providing for all my needs and doing all their stuff, we are approaching a kingdom covenant principle with consumerism. So I'm going to go out there until I find somebody that gives me all the things that I feel like I deserve and I need. Instead of following the voice of the Lord anymore in our life, we... We follow our consumerism, right? And um, ultimately, the church pays the price because we don't, we don't really understand the true principle of making a kingdom impact where God has planted you, right? And marriages pay, pay, a, price, pay a price when we don't understand the principle of covenant love and how covenant love works in a relationship all right, that we start looking at things from a consumer perspective and what makes me happy. But if the, the truth is about relationships and our position. We all have needs, do we not? We all have needs, every single one of us. So when I talk about this, you're not meeting my needs, all this kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not trying to ignore the fact that we all have needs. We have relational needs. Uh, we have love needs. Um, you know, and, and I'm not trying to ignore the needs that exist within us, um, <clears throat> that even exist inside of our relationship. So w- w- you can ask the question, what about my needs? All right? What about the, the needs that I have to be loved, uh, to have intimacy, to have this, um, um, these needs met inside of my life. Um, well, the, the truth is, um, if you continue to give 
you know, if we continue to give and give and give, and, and, and you approach it from the perspective that I'm talking about this morning, this covenant relationship, sometimes you could feel like you're a doormat, right? Like I'm, I'm giving, 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 and I'm not receiving anything in return. So um, what do you do about that? How do you, how do you address that situation inside a relationship where maybe the covenant love is only being expressed in one direction, right? <clears throat> and what we need to do about this and what we need to understand is this. In Ephesians, the Bible says that we are dearly loved children. How did we become dearly loved children, right? Jesus died so that you could become a dearly loved child of God, okay? Jesus died on the cross. He went to the cross. He made the sacrifice so that we could become dearly loved children of God. And so our greatest needs can only be met in our relationship with the Father, not in a relationship with another imperfect human being. And this is the reason why you can say that your relationship and your marriage is not to make you happy. And Rob, if you'll come. All right? Our relationships are not designed to make us happy, all right? Uh, because people, listen, people were not created to make us happy. People were not created to make you happy. Now, they can bring happiness, okay, in, in moments of joy, but true happiness cannot be determined and true joy cannot be determined by the circumstances that you find yourself in. Okay? They can't otherwise, then, listen, you become a slave to your circumstances if that's the way that you find happiness and joy in your life. All right? So happiness and joy in your life will only come to you if your circumstances are right. And that's not a biblical model for happiness and joy. That we find joy and happiness deep on the inside because of what God has done for us, not because of our outward circumstances. And this is the reason why you can find people who have millions of dollars and everything that that you could possibly ever want in life and yet are the most miserable, unhappy people in the world. And you can find people that live in a third world country, that live in two by fours, put together, you know, out in the street somewhere, and yet you can look inside of them and see that they they have true joy because happiness is not something that is determined by the circumstances that we find ourselves in life. It is determined by the frame of mind that we have, all right, and, and who we are and what. So God, Jesus, is the only one that can meet all of your needs. Only one that can meet all of your needs that you have. Jesus is the only one that could do it. You see, when you meet the real Jesus, you don't need to look for love from other people. You don't need to look for acceptance from other people. You don't need to have your needs met by other people because you've met the real Jesus. Because you've met his presence and and who he is. And what this does for us, what this does for us is it frees us it frees you to be able to love people around you the way that God loves you. You see, when you become exposed to the love of God, the love of God that changes you, all right, it, 
it fills you with a love. And when you become filled with that hesed love of God, then what happens is, is when we become full of something, we can give it away. It's then in that moment in our life when we can give that part of our life away. Um, but we have to be full, we have to be filled with it. We have to be filled with the Hesed love of God, the covenant love of God. We need to meet the real Jesus and be exposed to his real love. Let me ask you this question as we kind of close up today. What if what if God designed the seasons you are in now to make you holy, not make you happy? What if God has designed the season that you are in now to make you holy, not to make you happy? Whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you are divorced, unhappy, um, or whatever it is, whatever season that you find yourself in in your life right now, what if the season that you are in, God has placed you there for a purpose, and that purpose is to make you holy. It may not make you happy, but it will make you holy. I think that if we're able to approach the moments that we are in in our life, if we're able to approach and look at the things that we're going through in our life in in this kind of way, it allows us to understand the purposes of God in our life, all right? You remember at the beginning, one of the things that I said, you cannot control other people, but you can control yourself. You cannot change other people, but you can change yourself, all right? And that's the only responsibility that we have is to make sure that we change ourselves, that we grow, that we learn, that we change the way that we live, the way that we walk, the way that we treat other people in our life, that we change and do it the way God wants us to do it. Will you stand to your feet this morning?